0: We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters.
1: Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of Woe. If you
0: want to contribute more than a dollar a month which obviously no pressure whatever you've got we are so appreciative to have but we have awesome gifts for you if you want a hand addressed letter from morgan and isabeau maybe with some special whoa stickers other merch
1: just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons I'm Isabelle And I'm Morgan And this is Romance, A podcast about romance novels About dark suns About wrist kissing About Paris About rural England
0: About the deadly Moors
1: About secret children. (laughs) It's no fun when they're not a fun word like teen or tween.
0: That's so true. (laughs) About blessedly stupid brothers.
1: About proto-Adam Drivers. About bad dads. But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And... Ourselves.
0: This week we have The Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase.
1: Our second Loretta Chase. We talked about Mr. Impossible back in the day with our friend Kim. Um, but this is one of those that you always hear about all the time. It just kind of felt like a a conspicuously <laughs> missing part of our repertoire. I'd never read it before, obviously. Have you read it before? I had not. It was always getting referenced, and I always felt a little out of the loop.
0: So we decided to loop ourselves in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, why not?
0: See what all the fuss is about. So... Morgan, would you do this favor of reading the back of the book for potentially everyone else who's uninitiated and for those who are screaming in your uh, cars or public transits that Isabel and Morgan had waited until this late date to read this, let's <laughs> remind you as well what this book is about.
1: I want to comment on the fact that I got my copy from the Chicago Public Library, and mm-hmm. they stickered the barcode right over the back of the book and then so I looked up the back of the book on Goodreads and it's different than what's on the back of this book so this is the interesting the book was originally published in 1995 this is the 2005 reissue that I Mm. have in my hand can my tiny little doll palm can comfortably hold this whole book
0: The 1995 cover is amazing. I use it in a PowerPoint presentation that I do. And it's this hot dude and just his back. And he's clearly like about to do something amazing to the woman on the cover. I
1: will say the Lord of Scoundrels, the what's depicted on the cover, which is like love making in a pile of wildflowers, does Mm -hmm. not occur. It does not. No, it's fanciful, but that's okay. I hope the lie was worth it. I think it is. It's a really good cover.
0: Yeah, it's an excellent cover. Like, I don't need to read the back of the book if I were that cover.
1: But if you're someone who exclusively reads books where people make love in wildflowers, it's not the book for you.
0: Go out to California and throw yourself in the super bloom.
1: Live it. Stop just reading about it. It's such a weird thing to only... What a weird rule you've created for yourself. Do you know what? <laughs> Actually, fig fig on your rule you should read lord of scoundrels you should you would like it broaden your mind anyway anyways (laughs) all right back of the book per goodreads determined lady tough-minded jessica Trent's sole intention is to free her nitwit brother from the destructive influence of sebastian ballister the notorious Marquis Marquess of Dane. She never expects to desire the arrogant, amoral cad. And when Dane's reciprocal passion places them in a scandalously compromising and public position, Jessica is left with no choice but to seek satisfaction. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Lord of Scoundrels. Damn the Minx for tempting him, kissing him, and then forcing him to savage her reputation. Lord Dane can't wait to put the infuriating blue stocking in her place, and in some amorous position. And if that means marriage, so be it. Though Sebastian is less than certain he can continue to remain aloof and steal his heart to the sensuous, headstrong lady's considerable charms.
0: I will say, I feel like that Goodreads uh, back of the book doesn't do this book justice.
1: What do you feel is missing?
0: Well, I mean, they mentioned the brother, but like the setup is actually quite complicated about how they get together. And like the back of the book, like just, I don't know. It's much more sedate than how the first Mm. half feels.
1: Yeah, it is the back of the book, though. I Complexity. It's the Twitter of (laughs) literature. Sure, but I feel like we've read some... Back of the books
0: that were better at, like, getting into, like, the zeitgeist of the story rather than, I don't know, that sounded really, like, generic. And, like, you know what's great about this book? It's very generic, but it's it's delivered very well. Maybe that was my reading. I don't think that was your reading. You're excellent at back of the books.
1: Tough-minded Jessica Trent. <laughs>
0: no <laughs> no nope, nope, that's not gonna help that's not gonna help frankly maybe the original back of the book without the barcode was better I don't all right know. how
1: about this how about oh this does look okay so i yeah, can't read the first better. line mm-hmm, mm-hmm, i knew it no respectable yep. woman would have anything to do with the bane and blight of the balusters there and we go he wants nothing to do with respectable women yep that's great yeah that's so much better he's determined to continue doing what he does best sin and sin again and that's Mm. all going swimmingly Mm. word swimmingly is doing a lot of work here thank you dot 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 until Mm. the day a shop door opens and Mm. she walks in see this is so much better she's too intelligent to fall for the worst man in the world Uh, dot 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 uh two ellipses Jessica Trent is a determined young woman, and she's going to drag her imbecile brother off the road to ruin. Not a nitwit, an imbecile. Like, this back of the book is killing it. No matter what it takes, if saving him and with him, her family and future, means taking on the devil himself, she won't back down. The trouble is the devil in question is so shockingly irresistible, and the person who needs the most saving is
0: herself.
1: That's that way is better. way
0: better that's way better <laughs> thank you uh, I think it's it's the specificity right like so it's the bane and blight of the balusters the alliteration's great but like one of the things that the book can constantly has our hero refer to himself as the bane of the balusters he like he sees himself as a stain and that's part of his deep dark trauma so like the fact that the back of the book has that great I also love that it doesn't mince words about the stupid brother he's an imbecile he's not a nitwit it's like it's not cute that he's going to spend the whole family fortune while both of them are still in their 20s. Like, that's not a cute look. I love that the back of the book is not going to, like, hide that either. And then, like, when the shop door opens, alludes to our meat cute. Come on. That's how a back of the book is done.
1: I will say it's not like his. the book is holding the stakes of Bertie, her brother's, Recklessness, particular taking it particularly seriously. She no. and her grandmama are, are full of whimsy and wit about the whole thing. This is not a, this is not a very angsty book. It has angst in it, but I would not say it's a terribly. I don't think Loretta Chase is a terribly angsty writer. I don't
0: think she is either. I think the angst gets resolved pretty quickly in most cases, and only one person is feeling the angst. And since we head hop so much. We also, as an audience, are not forced to feel angst for very long.
1: That's true. Also, Loretta Chase, you said bad dads in our intro, but I feel like she really likes a bad brother.
0: She does love a bad brother. She loves a stupid brother.
1: In Mr. Impossible, she ends up in her situation because she's trying to bail out her brother as well. Yes, because he's stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I feel like Loretta Chase maybe wrote
1: the brother in The Mummy and just has a type. (laughs) Yeah. So this book, I didn't realize, it came out in 1995. And we've talked about how this is like, I mean, it gets referred to a lot. If you see like a best of romance novels list, Lord of Scoundrels tends to to be on it. And it just never seemed that interesting to me. Like nothing that interesting. There wasn't like a big hook for me. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's a pretty generic story. Yeah, like... If it was the Goodreads back of the book, which isn't wrong, Mm -mm. but it's not particularly, you know, it doesn't capture the energy, the vim and the verve that we've got going on in the text. I think that's correct. But 1995 was a wild year. I got to tell you about 1990. I got to remind you of 1995. Okay. Because I think we tend to remember things as just like a soup. Mm Mm-hmm. But this was the year that Brad Pitt, with his long hair and goatee, was the sexiest, People Magazine's sexiest man alive.
0: Is that fresh off of his Legends of the
1: Fall hair? It is his Legends of the Fall hair. Oh, God, that hair is so good. Number one selling single, Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. Okay. Guess what won Best Picture?
0: It's two years before Titanic and it's after Unforgiven, so I don't know. No. Braveheart. Oh fuck!
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that tracks.
1: Guess what else happened in 1995? What? O.J. Simpson trial on TV. Oh wow, that was in 1995. Okay. TLC's Waterfalls with nice. the like nice computer mm-hmm. jelly mm-hmm. one MTV video of the year. That
0: makes perfect sense. It was the year of the Macarena. That's weird. That's a weird fact. It's
1: weird that those things were together in the same year. Selena Was Murdered, Jerry Garcia Died, E.R. Seinfeld and Friends were the most popular shows. Get ready for this, Match.com came out, Drew Barrymore flashed David Letterman that year, Toy Story, Batman Forever, and Apollo 13 were the big winners at the box office. hmm Amazon sold its first book. Mm-hmm. Toy Story was the first completely computer animated film and Windows 95 was released and the Starbucks Frappuccino and eBay. And? That's it. That's the grand total.
0: Oh, oh no. you're, You're missing a big one.
1: Which one was it?
0: The Oklahoma City bombing.
1: That was in 1995? Yeah. Listen, that doesn't make it onto fun pop culture lists, Isabeau.
0: I mean, it's weird to me that O.J. murdering two people makes it onto a fun
1: pop culture list. First of all, he was proven innocent in a court of law. Mm-hmm. So easy there. Mm. On the schmurder <laughs> accusations. <laughs> I think the reason it was on a pop culture list is because it was a big deal on television. Mm-hmm. It was like the first celebrity televised... Yeah. Trial. I mean, the
0: whole like chase was also televised, but that would have been 94, I guess. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a lot of stuff.
1: It's a lot of stuff. And like big world changing stuff.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: The Frappuccino. <laughs> I like how you wanted me to recall the Oklahoma City bombing off the top of my head right after I said Starbucks Frappuccino. <laughs> It was a big year. I think, yeah, it was a, it was an absolutely big year. And like a one that was defining. Mm-hmm. And into this soup bubbles up this little potato. <laughs> <laughs> Lord of Scoundrels. Did anything surprise you about this book?
0: Absolutely. Lots of stuff surprised me. But the thing that surprised me most, potentially, uh, was the very first chapter. We spend the entirety of one whole chapter before we meet our heroine or anything else entirely discussing the history of Lord Dane. Oh, you mean the prologue? Yeah, dude. Oh, maybe the reason why I didn't understand that it was the prologue is because in my text, it goes on for 31 pages. It's the longest prologue in fucking history.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about the prologue a lot as well. It's also like tonally different from the rest of the book.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I think it's interesting you thought it was chapter one and that that was surprising to you. I also Mm -hmm. noted the prologue, but what I noted was this is how you do a prologue. This is what a prologue is for. It's like separate from the rest of the text and it allows, you know, additional backstory. I do think you could jump into the novel at chapter one, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't necessarily need the context for the prologue. The but it, I love that the hero's big bad is all contained in this little front-facing Tupperware that you can kind of take or leave.
0: I don't know why you'd leave it because like this Tupperware got layers. Uh, I mean, we start with we don't even start with him. We start with his father losing his first wife and children to a fever and then having to marry again, a much younger woman who's Italian and spicy and then also Catholic. (laughs) And then like, it just like goes on from there and then she leaves and then he goes to boarding school and they like try to stick his head in his, in a privy, but his shoulders are so broad. It doesn't get very far. Um, it's, it was like the details and specificity of this person's tragic childhood into adolescence was like unremittingly specific. And I, it was it was the details that I think made everything else in this book function the way that it did. Like this is a, this is a book for me of details and like the prologue really, really set that tone.
1: I think that's interesting. I think that, like, nothing good happens in the, like, nothing funny or fun. And there's nope. going to be a lot of funny and fun stuff mm-hmm. from this moment forward. Nothing funny or fun happens in the prologue. No, it's super sad and very angsty. It's
0: very terrible. It's yeah. like a Bronte story.
1: It is like a Bronte story. And the rest of the book is an Austin novel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was also struck by what a juicy slice it was. Do you feel like it's necessary? Like you have to read the prologue. Been, there there
0: could have been another way to do the backstory. Like this the the love story itself doesn't need it. Um there are a couple of lines that I think the callbacks function to deepen our understanding and um potentially make us like Jessica, our heroine, more because of her brainy intuitiveness that she can just, like, figure this out without being told because, of course, he, like, basically never tells her anything. I liked having it, but I like angst, so. Tessa Dare has a story that's very similar to this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious about the Tessa Dare
0: yeah, let me look that up really quick, because there's even a line, and I highlighted it because it reminded me so much of the Tessa Dare novel, um, where Jessica says to him, you know, are you hiding anyone in the attic? And Tessa Dare's novel, let me search. She basically says the same thing, where it's like, oh, like, you hiding anyone in this attic? Like, this is all very Baroque and, you know, a little too whatever. Um and both men are like, no, there's no one in the attic. Why would you say that? And it's just how I feel about my mom, goddess of the hunt.
1: Okay, so the so the mad woman in the attic is a alleg- reference is actually referencing, like, a mother.
0: Well, no, mom because, like, problems. mom problems, but, like, the way both men act – because we meet both men in the Tessa Dare story and here in um, Lord of Scoundrels. We meet both men outside of their home space, right? Like, we meet them outside of their lands. And they're, like, debonair and suave and confident. And then, they like, they get really anxious when they go home. And that, like, mm-hmm. represents a very specific kind of change. And, like, I think that's fairly – let's – it's not uncommon for heroes to have that reaction when they return with their wife to, like, their lands. Um, but in both of the novels, the dare as well as this one, the plucky heroine is like, why are you so anxious? And, like, what's going on with these deep, dark moors? And in the dare one, he doesn't like going home because his brother was killed by a man trap. Um <laughs> Very Baroque. And in here, it's he doesn't like being home because it reminds him of his father and how cruel he was and all of the love that he missed out on as a child. Um and it's just that both women are like, Well, who are you hiding? Is is there like a first wife up in the attic? And it's clear that like both authors thought they were being funny about like referencing Jane Eyre.
1: I think that speaks so much to how incredibly varied romance can be as a genre even if it looks really monolithic like Loretta Chase and Tessa Dare are two white big name authors who write white historical rom-coms and they both have heroes who go through this transition of being like Mr. Cool Guy and then get home and feel weird about it however the origins of (laughs) why they feel weird about it. (laughs) <laughs> one out a brother died a man trap which is a very tessitur, <laughs> tessitur-, <laughs> tessitur- <laughs> <laughs> like there's some kind of like violent catastrophe that like can only happen in or like would only happen in the era like parents being like cujoed by <laughs> scottish wolves that's so true i forgot bitch. about the
0: wolves Like, the carriage accident wasn't enough. It was the wolves (laughs) feasting (laughs) on their corpses.
1: Yeah. And and then, like, a brother who died. How did he die? Like, sudden illness, war, pestilence. No, man trap. Yeah. Man trap.
0: (laughs) Which was to keep the poors off the grounds from, like, hunting grass. (laughs) (laughs) It was a spring-loaded man trap.
1: I will say... For, i i appreciate loretta chase's delicate management and like nuanced understanding of human trauma yeah and it doesn't have to be like it doesn't a have to man be- trap <laughs> you
0: don't have to witness your brother be torn apart by an antique shotgun you can just have your head repeatedly shoved in a toilet as a child yeah exactly. that too is
1: trauma you can just have your dad not like you a lot That's trauma. Particularly, yeah. I mean, and I think that's one of the things that is, he has not only trauma around his father, but he looks differently than all of the other wasps at Eaton, and he doesn't realize that it, in fact, makes him a hunk, and he talks about how he's like too big and he's too dark and his nose is too big. He don't know he's beautiful. And it's because he's Italian. Although I think there's room to mm-hmm. interpret for Agreed. sure. Yes. I mean, it's very Heathcliff, mm-hmm. but his, his mother dies when he's young. She runs off with another man and then perishes. And he doesn't really go back home until he claims his father's estate. And then he just goes to Paris To spend it because he deserves money. That's what I'm going to say about that. He
0: deserves specifically his father's money and the money of his ancestors. Um,
1: Yeah, because he knows how to spend it. He's having orgies. Yep. He's uh, going to dinners at 11 p.m.
0: Buying very expensive horses and treating them very well.
1: Mm -hmm, Yes. Fancy clothes for his big body. Antiques. Antiques. Luxury antiques are his particular... Tip bowl. He loves art. I just, I I think he's wonderful.
0: (sighs) Indeed. It's funny because it's like he loves his creature comforts, but he's like weird about loving them. What do you mean? He can't just be like I like this or like I like soft silks on my face. He's like I'm spending my dead dad's money or like I'm gonna do this because it's the best and like you know it's all part of his like weirdo machismo which is to cover up his deep insecurities Um, and so it's funny when we meet Jessica who's just like into her eccentricities like fully Mm. Mm -hmm. right where she's just like I'm just into it. I don't I don't need to, like, justify it to anybody. Like, I don't know why you're doing that. You're into it. That's cool.
1: I think what's interesting about him as a hero is that he's very resistant to – I think you're right. Like, he is super weird about the things he likes – and what he enjoys and he can't just like it and he can't just enjoy it. He has to intellectualize it and make it about revenge, which is something men do. Like mm. where and I think he's like frustrated by that part of himself where he's a very instinctual person, but then has to like logic it away. Whereas I think our heroine, Jessica, is a very intellectual person. Mm-hmm when they first meet at the pawn shop at the (laughs) antique store he is drawn to this icon he's fascinated by it but he's quickly distracted from it and doesn't want to pay what the guy's asking for it and doesn't want to negotiate and he becomes more fascinated with Jessica right because she walks in and she's you know herself
0: a literal breath of fresh air
1: She's tiny and dark-haired and light-eyed and ivory skinned and smart, yeah, sassy. Mm-hmm. And so he's captivated by her, but she sees the icon, and she's very careful about it. I also love that this moment isn't just like a throwaway. Like this icon is going to follow us throughout the entire story and become it it becomes a a site of conflict on several occasions um, to propel the plot forward in an interesting way.
0: Agreed. it was very good. And this honestly one of the best meat cutes I've read in a long time. Like it's so she got, delightful. It, like because he's there and distracted, and then he's like, Bertie, her brother, the imbecile, walks in and he's like, Oh god, not this guy. And then he like says something mean and cutting that's just two grade levels above Bertie. <laughs> and and Jessica <laughs> catches it and then answers for her brother. And he's like, Ooh, a player has arrived at the table. And that that tension, that electrification was so good. And then they have this incredible banter around this watch that's like, you know, uh, a dirty watch that like is depicting cunnilingus. And like the whole thing is so good. Like he tries to like scandalize her and she won't be scandalized. And it's just...
1: Yeah, he, like, runs – he runs out of uh, – he goes to the edge of his runway
0: mm-hmm. every
1: time he talks to her.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: she unspools slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then he has to backtrack every time. He's just so giving true. it his all all the time.
0: That's so true.
1: I mean, I think that's what makes – I find him so love. I I also – I said proto-Adam Driver because he is described as a – like – and not just, like, physically. He seems to inhabit what so much of the Adam Driver fic depicts, which is, like, brooding, self-hating, self-hatred that's the the reason he's expressing it is externalized hatred. Mm-hmm. All of that good stuff, except it's much more – I like him better than the guy from Love on the Brain or whatever. The love hypothesis. I like him better than that guy.
0: Yeah, no, I knew like I knew immediately who you were talking about. I,
1: well, I don't know if our listeners will. Mm. We've got this, like, third mysterious party.
0: That's true. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I forgot you were here.
1: <laughs> but I, I think, like, you know, or the dead romantics. Like, I think he. it's, like, better Adam Driver fanfic. Yeah, this is better Adam, Adam Driver, Driver fanfic. Fic. Yeah his passione and his refusal to acknowledge it and I I love that she sees him immediately for what he is which is this incredibly sensitive person
0: mm-hmm.
1: and his sensitivity is something he associates with his mother mm-hmm. um, for the limited amount of time he had with her and his family I think kind of always threw that sort of thing in his face this reminds me <laughs> when I was a tour guide One of our tour stops was J.P. Graziano's Mm -hmm. best Italian sub in the city. And we would have to call ahead. And it was the most intimidating phone call I had to make for every single tour group. They were so mean to me. And they would just trample me on the phone. I mean, they weren't mean to me. They were just like, they just went for it. And my boss, who's Italian-American, one time she told me, she was like, Morgan, they're Italian men. They're sensitive. You've got to be sensitive with them. You can't come from this place of like, here's your information, goodbye, because that'll hurt their feelings. (laughs) And then they're going to be mean to you. You got to be like... Their feelings are hurt. Yeah, you got to like, you got to like spend some time with them. Shoot the shit.
0: (laughs) Got to romance them a little bit. You got to
1: romance them a little bit. And I remember thinking like, I can't believe that I have this expectation. Like, all I want to do is give you money for sandwiches. Like, and I want to do it in the most efficient way possible. And I feel like we have a similar issue. She, she doesn't see a reason to be kind to him because she sees him as the source of everything that's wrong with her brother because her brother idolizes him. Mm-hmm. However, it is a one-way street and they are not actually friends. Mm-mm. I'm
0: barely too dumb to know.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so Dane begins his revenge plot because she bought the idol because she knew it was better than what he perceived. So then his pride is hurt. And also he really liked it.
0: He did really like it.
1: And then secondly, she is smarter than him. She's got his number. And like most people, he freaks out.
0: Yeah, he's used to being the smartest person in the room, and he doesn't like to be called on his shit. And so she starts calling him on his shit, and he 100% does not like it. Um, he's also really undone by it. Like he, he thinks of himself very mysteriously, Like, and partly I think that's because his inner workings are so deeply guarded that he's a bit of a mystery to himself. And so I think he thinks he's more mysterious than he actually is and it like doesn't take Jessica very long at all to like figure him out and get what he's doing and be like, "Hey, my guy, like you lost out on this icon. Please stop fucking my brother up. He's he can't roll the way that you do. He can't swim in your waters. He's drowning." And then he's like, "He gun drown."
1: Yeah, I think her strategy is to be like to show him. I mean, I think she buys the idol cuz she wants to buy the idol. But she wants to. Bertie wants to brag about her being so smart and yeah. being better than him, being better than Dane. And so he gets her into this situation. She gets in over her head, right? She just wanted to give him money for sandwiches.
0: He wanted to be romanced.
1: <laughs> he wanted to be romanced. No, I, I think like the first half of this book. Is so dang zesty. This
0: is so good.
1: And s- moves so fast. Mm. Has so many sites of sexual and romantic tension. Mm-hmm. Has so many instances of relief.
0: Mm-hmm. It is
1: just always pushing and pulling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the second half is not that.
0: <laughs>
1: I think it's because... I, I think it's because he really just falls apart and has to be put back together again mm-hmm. from his flirtation. And that, I think, proves to be an incredibly tedious task. But is that not what heterosexual relationships are like between men and women?
0: Indeed. He not only emotionally falls apart, he also physically falls apart. She shoots him, which is amazing. Uh <laughs> One of the most surprising things I've read in a romance <laughs> novel where the heroine shoots the hero on purpose at an all-male club and she's such a crack shot that she gets him through and through in the shoulder without hitting bone or any of the tendons. It's just straight through viscera, bleeds a lot, but like he should be fine. And she did it that way on purpose so that he'd be fine. Um, and then he loses all ability to use that arm. Mm -hmm. and then he's like well I can't use you've you've made me disabled like how could you and she's like I know that you should be able to use your arm because all the doctors say that you can and I know how good a shot I am so like once you figure out your your obstacle my guy I think that arm's gonna be fine (laughs) and sure is shooting
1: (laughs) that arm was fine by the end here's one of the worst parts about him." I think his like arm. So the doctors also tell him there's nothing wrong with his arm, um, but he can't move it. And yeah, of course, it's like a, it's like a psychological thing, and it's resolved when he um, trigger warning becomes a father <laughs> to his pre existing son <laughs> who is nine. <laughs> hey, he's eight. Okay, <laughs> give him a break. What is that, a second grader? Yeah, dude, that's a second grader. He doesn't know his multiplication tables yet. Well, it's because he's
0: (laughs) not going to school.
1: Well, also because he's a second grader. (laughs) He also tells her in the book, but he says it in Italian because he's such a romantic, that if she leaves him, he'll kill himself.
0: Yeah, he does say that in Italian to her.
1: Yeah, and um, he... Pretends, which also trigger warning. That's, if someone tells you that they will kill themselves if you leave them, that's that's just abuse. That's abuse.
0: Plain and simple.
1: I actually learned this from TikTok. Because I was always like, I don't even know what I would say in that situation. Please don't. Like, I. it just seems like a trap. Then, a social worker on my TikTok feed was like, what you should say is... I am going to call the police to come and do a wellness check on you. And then you call the police and that will show them how serious their choices are. And if they are actually endangering themselves, it will um, put them in a a safer place. Unfortunately, the police are the entity that we have available to us in this situation. But, But that's a little tip I learned from TikTok from a social worker. The more you know. The more you know, but she doesn't do that because he says it in Italian. Um, she doesn't know what it means. But I think like he's he says he's so okay, okay, okay. So she shoots him because they got caught, uh, getting have doing heavy petting after a ball in a garden, mm-hmm. and he thinks that she set him up because he had been almost entrapped in a similar way before, and he's like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And so she thinks that he did it just to embarrass her. She's like, you're not going to embarrass me. You're not going to ruin my life. Mm-hmm. So she has this whole plan around shooting him and then filing a lawsuit. <laughs> and it almost works. It does. But he says like his like greatest fear, whenever he realizes he can use his arm again, he says that his greatest fear was Jessica leaving him. And so I think that's why he was, like, wounded birding it. Oh,
0: totally. Like, he's like, she has to now stay because of the guilt and also because, like, I need someone else's hands. And, like, yeah, he's totally wounded. Like Deeply
1: manipulative.
0: He doesn't know he's doing it. But, yeah, it's, like, a lot of this is what I mean. And, like, this gets back to the idea that, like, he's a mystery to himself, but he's not a mystery Mm -hmm. to Jessica. Because she's like, when you want to use your arm, you will yeah and he's like yeah i'm lame forever and she's like Mm-hmm, okay
1: <laughs> i think it's interesting because this is inherently like shitty stuff for a hero to do and like really hard to forgive stuff yeah but this book is always like right on the edge of it like he says it but he says it in italian and she doesn't speak italian um He's doing it, but like you said, he's a mystery unto himself. Having said that, I think it's really fun and cool to read stories like that in a romance novel because they create interesting situations. People being a mystery unto themselves to that extent, I feel like is an act of violence against others. Like You need to be responsible for your own... (laughs) mental well-being because it does affect the people around you and you might have issues and stuff but you've got to like work on them otherwise that's it's making
0: other people responsible for you in ways that they never truly can be right because like the only person you can change is yourself and the only person who can grow in that situation like people can help you grow but like you got to do the growing and yeah so like all this stuff is like pretty nasty IRL but from the remove of a romance novel yeah. set in the 1800s yeah, you know like it just it doesn't hurt as bad his weaponized incompetence his like weird stuff about himself plus like she's so funny about it like she's not you know because she also really the thing that I found satisfying about their interplay in the boring tedium of the british Moors was that she like really like gives him space she's like okay like this is what i think is happening i sense that you are not like thinking about this this way like let me like create a frame for you or like let me help you with this and like she does this thing where she refers to him as high strung and he's like I am high strung. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like an unbroken horse. And she's like, yeah, and I know. Okay. So like, you know, and then she like leaves and like, you know, she's just walking around the house. And the fact that, Jessica is so secure, both in her love of him, but truly in her love of herself, like her confidence in herself and her ability to, ability to handle situations. Like she's an incredibly competent person. Um, makes the sting of his inadequacies uh, blunted for me personally.
1: See, I there's something so of its time in that it's very men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Yeah. Which was this relationship self-help nonfiction book that was published in 1992 Mm -hmm. um, by a guy and (laughs) the idea is that men and women are inherently psychologically different from one another and so it's like species from a completely different planet right like it's not that we're socialized differently it's that our cognitive brain function is different this book kind of leans into that, right? In that she is so good at knowing him mm-hmm. and he is he cannot possibly comprehend everything she does is a surprise to him. Here's the thing. This book is I enjoyed it. Having said that, I think this book thinks it's above stuff like not like other girls. I think there's some evidence of that. There is some interesting stuff done with, like, character and plot that kind of supports not being not like other girls. But I think it still does that. Yeah. And, like, it speaks... Another thing it still does is that we're supposed to see Jessica as this incredibly, like, capable, independent-minded um, woman. But her ultimate... <laughs> trajectory through this novel is to do all of the emotional labor for this very incompetent broken man so that he can become self-fulfilled enough to use his arm again (laughs) like not just use his arm again but like
0: to become a dad yeah
1: become it but like become a human Mm -hmm. like a person not like a character
0: yeah or a caricature
1: yeah one of the things about this novel is that like he has all of these stories he tells about himself, um, like I'm ugly and I'm brutish and I'm brutal and I'm like really good at buying antiques. I might be the best at buying antiques. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, he's like none of those things. And the whole world doesn't understand him that way either. Um, he's the only one telling that story and it's constantly holding him back from being happy. hmm Like, Jessica's story that she tells about herself, which is, like, I'm happy to be a spinster aunt, right? Someday.
0: I'm going to run my own antique shop because I am quite good at buying antiques. And, like, it doesn't matter if I'm not married as long as I have a good reputation because, like, the clients will come.
1: Yeah. We are shown that that story will ultimately hold her, would have held her back, right? And thank goodness she had this disruption. But I think, like, one of the things that frustrates me is she suffers endlessly for him throughout this book and I'm thinking particularly of the time and where he says that he's frustrated because she's not being a wife Um, she's not being dutiful and deferring and so she starts being dutiful and deferring To show him that that's not really what he wants. (laughs) But it is like such an unreasonable existence for someone to put themselves through. and But it's like the way a patriarchal society would see as a reasonable solution to that problem. Is like you as the woman who can emotionally and socially understand this you need to do what it takes emotionally to help him understand because he can't understand because his mom was gone and his dad wasn't very nice. And that's your job. And so it's like it does that romance novel thing where it makes us think that we're like rooting for a plucky heroine. But in fact, like everything is a deferment to the male gaze and like the male ego.
0: (laughs) One of the things that struck me about that prologue is that there isn't any corollary or mirror chapter for Jessica. Right? It's just 15 paper pages of this guy's trauma. And, like, we know that Jessica's life is nice, but, like, she has an imbecile brother and, like, She has dead parents. Dead parents and, like, was an unpaid nanny to some cousins. Like, yeah,
1: there's... She's had to Blanche Dubois rely on the kindness of strangers. Exactly. Like, there's absolutely no reason that this book couldn't
0: have also had a dual prologue for her to do that character study, to do that work. But ultimately, as you say, like... Jessica's is like, she's already done cooking. She's got to finish this cake, too.
1: Do you think the fact that that's so striking for us in this novel is because it's one of the rare times that the hero is the main character? I'm trying to think back on our oeuvre.
0: I think we've had like some sneaky heroes be main characters before, though. Um... I think... What's
1: what's popping into your head?
0: Well, I mean, I would have said, like, you know, the flesh and the devil. Like, that guy seems, like, to take over parts of Juanita.
1: Yeah. I think the flesh and the devil is, like, a very close example. I think the reason he does occupy so much of the imagination of that text is because he's, like, a full person and Juanita is, like, a child of privilege and doesn't become like, a full person until the end of the novel.
0: Right. The Prince of Midnight, I think, also, it, it's similar, right? We're, they're both broken people, but, like, he's just so verbose in his brokenness. Like, he's just constantly letting his broken spill all over, and she's so tight in her broken that, yeah, at times, it felt like he was running the show of the narrative.
1: I would say that feels more balanced than this. Mm-hmm, it does. Well, because it's kind of similar, right? Because, um jessica is so verbose in this text Mm -hmm. like she's all witticism and observation dane is always just like saying the wrong thing or like (laughs) skirting the issue
0: or being mean or like telling wrong stories about himself to himself right he really revels in being cruel which i didn't like i'm curious to hear where you saw this book like thinking it transcended Not Like Other Girls because I I put this solidly in the Not Like Other Girls category. In fact, like all the other women in this book and the way that they're referred to is super unfun.
1: Well, yeah. So, okay. So there's a few levels. I've thought about this. Thank you for asking. Dane enjoys uh, the company of professionals Mm -hmm. over uh, the company of well-to-do ladies because of the aforementioned marriage plot when his best friend from childhood died his sister tried to trap him and he just refused to marry her because of the stipulations of the marriage contract even though he was in love with her Mm -hmm. he's he also like is weary of their judgment of uh, gentry women he's weary of their judgment of who he is physically and character that he's created. Um, and also, you know, his mother gave him quite a – had quite a reputation in the ton. So he has, like, a lot of – he's self-conscious around them in a way that he's not around professionals.
0: Yeah, he'd been done wrong by women is the narrative he tells.
1: <sighs> the main critique that this book offers of the professionals is from Jessica's perspective – when she feels jealous and she says something fat phobic about them having large breasts or something. Mm -hmm. And Dane's perspective where he's like, assumes that Jessica is trying to trap him. And then he's like, oh, she's not trying to trap me like that one other woman would. He's, Dane we know has been, is wrong, right? Like he, his worldview is incorrect. So whenever he says things like, Whenever he says generalizations about ladies, then I think we're supposed to understand, like, take it with a grain of salt. And I think this gets solidified whenever we have this single story about who Dane's mother was, and then Jessica finds her portrait and learns her story and explains today, and, like, she was a girl of 17 who was, like, brought into this really bad situation, and then likewise, the professional who occupies um, the most speaking lines <laughs> in this book, she, so when Dane came home for his father's funeral, he uh, wanted to make love to a woman in his father's bed. Normal. <laughs> and this woman was Charity. Uh, she was a local town, Tart, air quotes. And Charity gets pregnant on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, And then eight years later, when Dane returns, Dane's been taking care of both of them. And then eight years later, when he returns, the chickens come home to roost with that. She wants more money and things like that. But Jessica explains to him Charity is a child herself. Like she hasn't had the same privileges as you. And like she has learned to survive in this particular way. And we also discover through Vautry's perspective, who's one of Dane's friends who's also hooking up with charity friends that she has friends and air quotes that she has a certain cleverness to herself, right? Like Mm -hmm. in Vautry's mind, she is Jessica. Like Mm -hmm. she is smart and understanding and caring. And it's just like one man's charity is another man's Jessica. (laughs) Like, and that's why I think because this book has that like perspective of like, and see she was also a justified person. She came by her worldview honest as well, you know. Mm -hmm. It just, Jessica, it's not conscientious of the fact that Jessica's the only person who doesn't commit some act of like social villainy. Yeah. As far as women go. But I don't think the book has that perspective. I think the text feels its own charity towards charity (laughs) a little too much.
0: I think, yeah, I think the book, feels like it's being charitable but like this woman is not depicted charitably when not through the lens of Vautry right like she's a bad mother she's a little slovenly she's like crude um and I think whereas Vautry sees her intelligence as you know smarts and where Jessica I think very kindly put it as like uh her ability to survive i think the text puts it down especially by others as like a a devious cunning that's certainly how dane sees it and i think that's also like not that his servants are anything to go by but like other people say that and part of the reason why they talk about her that way is because she like just lets this child dominic like twist in the wind and that's not seen as something that like is good it's explained nicely by Jessica, but.
1: And right, and that's supposed to make us understand Jessica is a good person.
0: Right. I think this book really likes Jessica.
1: But I think, like, a moment when I see the text kind of feeling itself <laughs> to be a, a nonprofit. Mm. <laughs> she dosed Dominic with laudanum mm-hmm. because they needed him to stop running amok. And this is from Vatri's perspective. And it says if she'd beaten the brat in the second place, instead of dosing him with laudanum, he wouldn't now be vomiting up the dinner he'd just wolfed down and working up spewing whatever he'd had for breakfast as well. So Vatri is frustrated that she did not just beat the child, right? Mm -hmm. So that's our, like, first tip. And that the other issue is we find out that he has a laudanum allergy. Like, it's not actually that she, like, overdosed him with laudanum. Later on, Charity met her lover's gaze. It weren't, wasn't, the laudanum, she said defensively. It was the mutton he ate for dinner. Spoiled it must have been, or the milk. He said everything tasted bad. So we see that she has a conscience. She's trying to reconcile with herself what happened. Like, she does care about her kid being sick. She just doesn't want to take, she doesn't want to think that it's the laudanum that she gave him
0: another way of reading that is that she's trying to placate vautry and she doesn't right like that like she's trying to ameliorate the adult man's feelings in this situation rather than like the child's i agree she feels bad but i'm not convinced in this situation that like i feel like she's trying to soothe the man like vautry's feathers in this in this instance and like Again, like, Loretta Chase is a good writer. The fact that, you know, both of us can walk away with different interpretations of a few lines is pretty impressive.
1: One of the things that I think is telling is Charity met her lover's gaze. It weren't, wasn't the laudanum. It just seems like she's hyper self-conscious in this situation. And that, to me, does not indicate that she's trying to placate Vatri because we see her placating Vatri early on. She's very much in control. In this situation, like, her language is slipping and things like that. I think it does go against her type. Like, she isn't a good person, but I do think the text is thinking about itself as... Benevolent? Benevolent, yeah. The text is thinking about itself as being benevolent to all of the characters by including, like, these little nuggets. I don't think it is successfully benevolent to all the (laughs) characters. But I do think that's the intention.
0: Yeah, I read that as a scene of, like, real angst and also, like, anxiety on her part. Like, she wants this to go right so that she and Votri can get away. And here's her kid fucking it up again. And she's sad that he doesn't feel good. But I think what's hard about the reconciliation of this, because I I see your point, is that the book also takes pains to tell us that Charity left this child as an infant with a person, an older lady, and like never checked in on him. And then the old lady died and Charity didn't come back for this child for weeks. So he's been running amok around the town. And now Charity's back because Dane's back. Which paints her opportunistically. And that she's using the child, which the, the text wants us to understand and we should all understand as bad, but also as a retread of how Dane was abused and not loved well
1: it's she's for sure being opportunistic with the child but it had it has just been one month since the old woman died four weeks is a long time for an eight-year-old but she's been she she was only gone for a week she returned because she found out and then it took her a week to get back yeah I just um and she just hasn't been doing and she is (laughs) definitely being opportunistic but it's like those details like that that are like do you know when you're like trying to talk shit on somebody Mm -hmm. and you're trying to be like oh she like left her kid with this woman right and then someone else is going to be like Well, she's a working gal and she doesn't have a whole lot of other choices. That's what this book is doing. It's like the book is like, oh, what about charity? And then you're like, Yeah, it's so fucked up. She like abandoned her child. And then the book is like, Yeah, well, she's had a hard life too, you know? Like those people just want to feel like a martyr. That's what this book is doing. <laughs> but the book is playing both parts. Yeah, it's like setting you up to dislike someone, pointing out all the reasons. It's setting you up for it and then being like, wow, um, I guess I just see her differently than you do. You know what I mean? That's what I feel like the book is doing. That's That's how I feel about its interpretation of villains mm-hmm. and how it's like... Like, at the end, when it makes a whole thing about how Vautry is in love with charity, Mm -hmm. and that's why he got into this situation, when, like, chapters ago, it was because he's bad at gambling.
0: And that Beaumont was trying to, like, get one over on Dane, because Dane knew that he was attracted to men, but, like, had never revealed and was never going to reveal this secret. I, like... That stuff got real convoluted for me and, like, bogged down the delicious bone mots between Jessica and Dane.
1: And it's because the book is trying to have it both ding-dong in ways.
0: It also, I mean, like, one of the things that was really hard for me about charity in general is, like, I agree. Like, when you're, like, well, she was a working gal. I'm like, yeah, I know. And he left her 50 pounds a year. And, like... I don't know how much that is in money's monies. I know that the Dashwood sisters in Sense and Sensibility only had 500 a year to live on and they couldn't even afford beef or sugar. So I don't know how Charity's keeping this kid Dominic in clothes, let alone anything else on 50 pounds a year, which is piddling for a man of Dane's status. And so like that whole thing is like, I both understand Charity as like villain as the text wants me to but mostly I just understand Dane is worse.
1: Well, here's the thing. I think that might have been a case of poor research. and <laughs> Because Jessica says like, I know, she should have been fine with 50 pounds a year. We know Jessica is supposed to be the person who knows these things. I guess. So do you know where they fucked up? They didn't use the figure, that magical number, 5,000. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's always say, a lot of money. over 5,000 pounds and we would have all been like, oh. She should have been fine with that. Five thousand, yeah, that's a lot. But, but like, I'm not saying like, oh, she's a working girl. The, the book, book is saying day. that. The di- book is throwing it in your face whenever you <laughs> like come to dislike someone, mm-hmm. because it, or it has like Jessica do it, and you're like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah she's so benevolent thanks i so you she's pretty and smart and kind i get it and the
0: way that we can understand because like she would be she'd be a pill right but what Absolutely. keeps her being a pill is that she correctly says mean things about birdie
1: and she's like trying to be a pill but she's so hot <laughs> like i'm a pill if i looked like her i would also not be a pill
0: She is very hot.
1: That's the thing. Hot people get away with everything. They get away with the worst personalities. Have you watched these hot people try to have a conversation with one another on reality TV?
0: I haven't. But one of the things that I liked most about True Blood was What's Her Face's brother being so beautiful and so dumb. I felt like that was like
1: So beautiful, so dumb. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And like, but here's the thing. I don't think any of them would be like... Wow. You know a lot about icons. I guess you are hot. Like, no, they don't. I open my mouth and it just sounds like TV static unless they're listening to the podcast because then they can't see me. And then they just know you're hot. (laughs) Nothing says bodacious babe like whatever it is I'm doing vocally. Some of the time.
0: Uh, Speaking of bodacious babes, what was your sexiest part?
1: You texted me about it before it happened, so it shouldn't even count.
0: I'm sorry. When I read that, I basically fell out of my chair. And I was like, nothing will ever be more Morgan than this (laughs) moment.
1: (laughs) My, oh my god. Speak, okay. This kind of speaks to, I want to, I want to, okay. I can, I can segue. So my sexiest part Mm. is Dane finds out from Birdie who is Jessica's brother, that Jessica purchased the icon and that she has discovered that the icon is actually worth a lot of money. And he goes bragging to Dane about it. And Dane says, I want to see the icon because it turned out it was actually like covered in some varnish that she removed. So off page, Dane goes and looks at the icon. And now he is taking her to a tea shop because now he simply must have it. And he's going to try to negotiate. He's not doing a good job because despite what he thinks in his own mind, he keeps repeating the same phraseology over and over again as he's talking to Jessica. He can't quit saying, I am not this.
0: I'm not a little schoolboy. Uh, I'm not a dead language to play in. I'm not accustomed to being kept standing at a doorstep. I'm not a haypenny of... I'm not a haypenny of a chit. And she starts saying it to him. Yeah. I'm not a pocket watch. I'm not as big as intimidating as you. I'm not a species of magpie. (laughs) I'm not a child. I'm not a mind reader. Jessica, I'm not an idiot.
1: (laughs) They're constantly trying to tell a story of themselves to the other person. It's
0: so good. Um, My my favorite thing is that they start when he says... um, Here's how it works. If you accept my offer of 1500 I shall behave myself, escort you to the cabriolet, and see that you're taken safely home. And if I do not accept, you will attempt to destroy my reputation, she said. It will not be an attempt, he said. She sat up very straight and folded her daintily gloved hands upon the table. I should like to see you try.
1: She says, I should like to see you try quite often. This All the is a time. book full of catchphrases. So Why good. isn't this a mini series? Right?
0: Oh my God. I would watch the shit out of eight episodes of this.
1: This would be a good one. Um, but the sexiest part, should I just read it? You should read it. Okay. <clears throat> Hands down. Dane had given Miss Trent more than enough opportunity to see her error. His warnings could not have been clearer. In any case, to hesitate in such a situation was to indicate doubt or worse, weakness. To do so with a man was dangerous. To do so with a woman was fatal. And so Lord Dane smiled and leaned nearer yet, until his great usiniolo nose was but an inch from hers. Say your prayers, Miss Trent, he told her very softly. Then he slid his hand, his big, dark, bare hand, for he had removed his gloves to eat and hadn't put them back on, down the sleeve of her police until he came to the first button of her frivolous pearl gray gloves. He popped the tiny pearl from the buttonhole. She glanced down at his hand, but didn't move a muscle. Then, aware that every eye in the place was fastened upon them, and the noisy conversations had sunk to whispers, he began to talk to her in Italian. In the tones of a lover, he described the weather, a gelding he was thinking of selling, and the condition of Parisian drains. Though he had never tried or needed to seduce a woman, he'd seen and heard other poor sods at that game, and he reproduced their ludicrous tones to a nicety. Everyone about them would think they were lovers, and all the while he was working his way swiftly down toward her wrist. She never made a murmur, only glanced now and then from his face to his hands with a frozen expression he interpreted as a speechless horror. He might have interpreted more accurately had he felt inwardly as self-possessed as he seemed outwardly. Outwardly, his expression remained sensuously intent, his voice low and seductive. Inwardly, he was disturbingly aware that his pulse had begun to accelerate at about button number six. By number 12, it was racing. By number 15, he had to concentrate hard to keep his breathing steady. He had relieved horrors beyond counting of frocks, stays, chemises, garters, and stockings. He'd never before in his life unbuttoned a gently bred maiden's glove. He had committed salacious acts beyond number. He'd never once felt so depraved as he did now. As the last pearl came free, and he drew the soft kid down, bearing her wrist, and his dark fingers grazed the delicate skin he'd exposed. He was too busy searching Dane's dictionary for a definition of his state, and too confused by what he read there to... Realized that Miss Jessica Trent's gray eyes had taken on the drunkenly bewildered expression of a respectable Spencer being seduced in spite of herself. Even if he had comprehended her expression, he wouldn't have believed it any more than he would have believed his untoward state of excitement over a damned glove and a bit of feminine flesh. Not even one of the good bits either, the ones a man didn't have, but an inch or so of her wrist plague take her. The worst was that he couldn't stop. The worst was that his passionately intent expression had somehow become genuine and he was no longer talking in Italian about drains, but about how he wanted to unbutton, unhook, untie every button, hook, and string, and slip off her garments one by one and drag his monstrous Blackamoor's hands over her white virgin's flesh. And while in Italian he detailed his heated fantasies, he was slowly peeling the glove back, exposing a delicately voluptuous palm. Then he gave one small tug toward her knuckles and paused. Then another tug. And paused. Oh. Then another tug. And the glove was off. He let it fall to the table and took her small, cool, white hand in his great, warm one. She gave a tiny gasp. That was all. No struggle. Not that it wouldn't have made the least difference to him. He was overwarm and short of breath, and his heart pounded as though he'd been running very hard after something. And just as he had done so, got it at last, he was not about to let it go. His fingers closed around her hand, and he gave her a fierce look, daring her to try—just try—to get away. He found she was still wearing the same wide-eyed expression. Then she blinked, and dropping her gaze to their joined hands, she said in a small, breathless voice, "I'm very sorry, my lord." Whew. Whew. My Not even risk kissing. He just took her glove oh off. Oh my god. It's so good. It's That's so good. That's the
0: sexiest part. Obviously, there's <sighs> nothing sexier than that. I don't know that I've ever read anything sexier than that. Like, <laughs> my god, I was beside myself when I read that.
1: I love his inner turmoil. Oh,
0: God so good. I love and like, that he's
1: outwardly in control and inwardly spiraling. Ugh,
0: and like and then when we're moving between like when we're going fast, he's like, button number six, button number 12, button, and then the tug, tug, oh my god, just like, ugh.
1: And I love her like, not making a move ugh. because she doesn't want it to stop, but mm. she also doesn't want it to be seen as, you know, doesn't mm. know what to do. Can't be encouraging, so just hold still. Ugh so good so i guess what's the second sexiest part
0: (sighs) i mean does anything even compare um uh, there is a one moment uh when he like takes her home and he's all anxious and stupid and being mean at his house and she's like trying to be patient and whatever and so she like You know waits for him in the library on that first night and he comes in all like black cloud and grumpy and she's like makes him read Byron and it's funny it's like kind of like a limerick and like the poem that she has him read of Byron is like actually quite sexually humorous and he'd never read it before even though he has all of Byron's books and she's like look what you're missing out on just by owning stuff and like never like taking the time to like see it and they both get hot and bothered by their reading out loud to each other which is super great and he like she's reading it out loud on the couch and like he's like snuggling up to her and by mm-hmm. the last verse he reads it out loud and then they're, like, basically because in each other's arms. she gets too, like,
1: flustered.
0: <laughs> to read. And uh, they're basically in each other's arms. And then, like, they're, you know, decide to embark on some sexual escapades. And um, he's, like, you know, fingers her and give her, gives her an orgasm. And she falls asleep. <laughs> and he's, like, just like a man. <laughs> and then he, like, carries her up the stairs one-armed. <laughs> Um, and I I loved that even even as it is like the most 1995 thing where like it's clear that this book thinks that's hilarious where it's like oh the woman fell asleep yeah, after yeah. an orgasm. <laughs> um, this book does have jokes
1: that hold up. Yeah, <laughs> I think the, I mean I also think it's very sexy when he um, gives her the engagement ring. Um. there's also, I think it's pretty erotic whenever they're meeting with her lawyer (laughs) and they realize what the actual stakes are. Of course, whenever they're, the ball, I remember just waiting for him to show up to the ball. I mean, this, I, I was hook, line and sinker. I mean there's a time, and then there's the scene where she has to seduce him because he's
0: like decided that he's not gonna have sex with her because he's like afraid to have sex with a virgin and like doesn't want to do it. He's like so
1: excited for it. Yeah. And then he realizes what it actually entails and he's never done it before and he's like wait he's so overwhelmed. He's so terrified of embarrassing her. I think like one of the sexier things about this book is this internality for this hero. Like they're always so like cocksure Mm -hmm. and he's not. Like even the um, cinnamon roll characters that we've read Mm -hmm. have always been like very confident in their abilities as like a lover and Mm -hmm. as someone who they feel very confident even in their romantic gestures. And this guy is so high strung. Like he's terrified about the ring he chose. Mm -hmm. He's terrified about having – sex with her for the first time mm-hmm. that it's going to be disappointing for her Um, that he's not actually a good lover like he's only been with professionals you know like he's
0: and they're paid so like he doesn't know and he's like and he's hes, he's suddenly so
1: self-conscious about everything all over again
0: he's self-conscious about his body he's self-conscious about like making her happy and like he's just like he's so wound up I found that disarmingly charming
1: We should do that more. Yeah. (laughs) Why don't we have that more? Like that feels like more of an affront to toxic masculinity than you know. Here's my speech about women's rights.
0: No, I totally agree. And like when she she does this thing when she's like, "Well, you're just emotional love," and it like hits him like a ton of bricks because like that's never a way that he would have described himself. And then like she. Like names it, and he's like, "Oh fuck, I am very emotional." like
1: and like watching him come to accept it by like ever speaking like, "Oh yeah, I'm emotional." and then being like, "I'm emotional. And then yeah, I'm, like, I'm emotional.
0: I'm emotional. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and like and like that
0: burgeoning acceptance of that, like, I think you're right to say that this like flies in the face of toxic masculinity, and like was kind of like all along, and um, it's weird. It's weird, even as it holds up parts of patriarchy because it's his internality that's doing the most work. It's like his care, his tenderness, his high strung like I want you to like me. I want it so bad. I'm so afraid of doing this wrong that I'm just not gonna do it at all. We're just we just won't have sex. <laughs> like
1: Yeah. He like gets his like boxing match is also very sexy. So sexy with his one arm i just yeah like i think what his character does is i think it's because it's not imagining a fantasy world where like a man read like mary wallstonecraft and then like suddenly like undid all of his years of psychological conditioning and social conditioning like we really see him like we talked about, like fall apart and then rebuild himself anew. And unfortunately, it is very much at Jessica's expense, but also fortunately, because it's a romance novel. <laughs> and like, that's the paradox. <laughs> but it is delightful. It's very sexy all the way through. I mean, the rain, the thunderstorm kiss. I mean, ugh, it's so good. Okay. What was your weirdest part? Besides the existential horrors that we (laughs) nudged.
0: So I did find it really, the prologue I did find notable. Also, all of the ways that he describes women, I found particularly ugly. My weirdest part. Um,
1: I have a couple of things. I have a couple little things.
0: Let's go with you first.
1: Let me know if these ring any bells. This book hates big titties. This book does
0: hate big titties, but that also feels like the 90s where it's like,
1: oh, I'm just a
0: small titty and nobody likes my titties and everybody likes big titties. And he's like, you're fine. It's a mouthful.
1: Yeah. Do you think it was a lot of Pamela Anderson resentment coming out? I I mean, they like call them like fat udders, pendulous, like not a nice word is spared for big boobs. And I get it. Like, there's a lot of, you know, Pam Anderson reference aside. I don't think you got to call them fat udders. Can't we, can't they both be acceptable breasts? (laughs) Um, The other thing, one other thing that I thought was weird is at the very end, Phelps, the beloved coachman, Mm -hmm. suddenly has a northern England accent. Like, it starts getting written in dialect. His his dialogue is written in dialect, like, out of nowhere.
0: I think, honestly, the weirdest part and, like, the maybe the thing that's unresolved and, like, is resolved in a later book is the throwaway part of his, like, posse, right? So he's got this, like, group of dudes hanging out with him in Paris. Bertie's one of them. Batri's one of them. And then we have Beaumont and this beautiful artist band who's married to a woman and beaumont is in love with this man beaumont
1: Um, is married to a beautiful woman artist the man is in love with beaumont's wife wife and beaumont's in in love with the man uh, right
0: and so this love triangle with its moving pieces is like introduced with like a lot, right? Like, and it's mentioned multiple times in like three different chapters. And then Beaumont sort of becomes like a shadowy, like instigator antagonist for like, you know, like encourages Vautry to like fuck up Dane and like all this other stuff. And like, it didn't really go anywhere in terms of like Beaumont or this love triangle. And it just felt like, I don't know why we have this because it it felt important when I was being told it by the text and then like it just totally fell apart and I was like oh like that feels like a thread we should have followed
1: more. At one point Beaumont has like paid to peep. Yeah Dane and a lady. And Dane gets really defensive about it. Yeah it doesn't really good. like Beaumont we find out is like this puppeteer of this like ploy to like sell the sun for the idol but it's just because he wants the idol because it's really nice um yeah like there's all this intrigue and like I think he's also wounded from Dane discovering him you know beating off to Dane anyone would feel sensitive in that situation.
0: Sure. Dane doesn't make him feel good or safe about it, but also like, well,
1: no, it was a bad thing to do.
0: (laughs) It was a bad thing to do. Dane doesn't handle it. Well, it gets really violent, like socially ostracizes him. Yeah. Which like sucks for Beaumont and like Beaumont's, I guess, villainy being tied. It wasn't, what was nice is that it wasn't tied to the fact that he was attracted to and in love with men. It was that it was tied to like his sneakingness, but like you can't unyoke those things in 1995 and you can't unyoke them in this novel. Um, yeah, so it
1: is tied. <laughs>
0: this
1: was tied. Do you know what I can't think of, um, for better or for worse, like I'm thinking of Reckless. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking of the heiress, the Caribbean in Paris story, that short story that we read but it seems historical <laughs> romances if it's a, if it's a mostly hetero story the only way they meet a gay person is if they go to paris
0: it's like there were gay people in london
1: i love paris as a setting though i
0: do too and i think it's really nice to get out of regency england when we can boy
1: boy howdy at least this place was pretty specific and like we went to cornwall and we went on like a little road trip i mean it's just like a very look like nothing slaps like the hits
0: this book is so sexy It's so fun. I couldn't put it down. I'm a new mom and I read until three o'clock in the morning. It was stupid. So it's a womance for me.
1: It's a womance for me as well. Look, if you're not, if you're in a reading slump, definitely check out, not that we've ever been allowed to be in one, but check out those best of lists. That's where we found Beast. That's where we found this. That's where we found The proposition
0: proposition continues to be a perennial favorite of mine this is definitely in that this would be in my tops list this is up there with uh the proposition for me and hummingbird
1: any other thoughts about this text rooney
0: no thank you for bringing it into my life i'll be thinking about 15 pearl buttons on the glove for quite some time mm. <laughs> so good
1: uh with that i think you should loosen your stays but never your principles. Mm. Mwah. guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.Reichman, spelled N.
0: Original music womancepodcast.com
1: If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.